0: Everyone, hold up your Bible if you've got one. Some of you are going to try to hold up a phone. That's okay. It's all right. This is my Bible. These words matter. These words and these words alone change lives. Amen? These words are holy, they are from God they are everlasting, they are eternal, they are power, they are food from heaven. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so it is, as an illustration, it is in a sense the job of the preacher to be like a waiter, to get the food from the kitchen and bring it to your table without messing up. It's a high calling. These words rightly interpreted, and in the message that they, that are contained therein, changes lives. Don't forget that today. This is, this is not ordinary. We are blessed to be able to gather in this room and to open this word. And we're going to be blessed to hear God's word from our friend this morning. Not to put a little pressure on you, Trevor. And so let's be ready to hear from God this morning. Uh, Trevor Dodson is a dear friend of Wyatt Baptist Church. He um, has been a small group leader at Wyatt. He was ordained here at Wyatt uh, for the pastoral ministry, I believe in 2013. I think that's right. And Trevor uh, was a church planter in Memphis um, for four years. Mosaic uh, Church there in Memphis and uh, did a fantastic job, was a great encouragement to us uh, here at Wyatt. And so we, Trevor and Laney are, are the real deal. They're out trying to serve the Lord, and they've uh, recently completed their time at Mosaic, and so we're blessed to get them again. They're back here at Wyatt, and they're going to be serving with us uh, until, you know, and praying, and just uh, to see where God is going to lead them next, what mission he has for them next. And so we are truly blessed to have them Uh, back we didn't wait long to throw you up here in front of the pulpit did we Um, but I know you're going to be blessed by him today and so we want to pray for you this morning Trevor as you come and and bring God's Word for us come on up let's bow we'll pray this morning Heavenly Father I thank you uh, that we have our brother back with us this morning I pray that you would empower him to preach to us your words this morning help us to wait expectantly and to hear and to listen to the words you have for us to hear this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, introductions are always hard to follow because they set the stage for something that might might be really great. Um, so I don't want to disappoint you this morning. <clears throat> if you would, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians 6. We're going to be in verses 5 through 9. Um, Today, we're going to discuss um, a, a part of Scripture that is nestled between two very familiar Scripture passages um, in the book of Ephesians. Uh, one thing that I, I think that is crucial here that we see is the practicality of what we're about to dig into. Um, So let me first pray over this text uh, real quick, and then we will dig in to see what God has to to tell us in the midst of what might seem to be kind of a a difficult text to hear, but the practicalities of this text are monumental for our life, our daily life. So let me pray for us real quick. Father, I pray now that what I say would be glorifying to you. I pray that hearts are molded around your text and that we are able to take uh, what what seems to be very difficult sometimes in your word uh, and apply it to our life in a way that we are examples for those around us. Um, we are a fragrance of who you are in our life to those that are around us. And, and Lord, by doing that, we are able to live life with individuals, have relationships with individuals um, that may be far from you. And God, by our actions and by our words and by our thoughts even, we exemplify who you are and are a great example and imitators of Christ. And so I pray that today as we read this text, um, that we see what it is that you're calling us to on a daily basis. Very simple teachings um, in a very... Almost difficult to hear passage. So, Lord, be with us today as we uh, look at your text for what it what it has to say. In your name, we pray. Amen. All right. So, um, in Ephesians six five through nine, we're going to we're going to get into what I just uh, said was a very familiar passage, but one that our eyes may glaze over uh, a lot of times when we're reading. So, if you look at Ephesians five, uh, you'll see the passage there that's. Um, talking about walking in love. You know, we read that passage, and it's, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We have no problem with that, and we get to verse 22, where we see wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And then we get to 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And we're okay with those, and we want to dig into those and and learn all that we can about them. We get to chapter 6, and children, obey your parents. Um, in the Lord, for this is right. We love that text, and then we get to verse five in chapter six, where it says, "Bond servants, obey your earthly masters." So our, our eyes kind of glaze over there, and um, so we're like, "Well, let's just read something that applies to us a little bit more." And we go to the whole armor of God, and finally, be strong in the Lord. Uh, and in the strength of His might. And we're, we're perfectly okay with reading that as well and just digging in. But we always want to kind of glaze over chapter 6 verses 5 through, uh, through 9. So today we're going to touch on these and again see the practicalities that ha- and how this applies to our life in ways that we might skim over uh, in our in our reading of the text, and if you spend any time in Ephesians at all reading, you kind of see that the first three chapters are very doctrinal. They're really teaching us about who God is and um, um, all the theology, the deep uh, intermingling theology of what what is happening um, in a relationship with Him. And then we see in four through six uh, chapters four through six how practical and how we live a, a life that is very um, holy and pleasing to God. Uh, on, on a very practical level. So, let's, uh, let's look real quick. I'm not going to read the text yet. I want to kind of set the stage for you as to what is happening here. Um, let's look real quick at Ephesians 5.21. It says here, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is an umbrella passage for what he's about to talk about in, in totality Throughout the rest of the uh, the rest of chapter five and getting into the first part of chapter six, and so what we're seeing right after that is uh, submission in general, submitting to one another um, as we would uh, um, in our friendships and in our life, submitting to one another as it pleases God. We see the wife's submission to the husband in in some of those texts. There we see the children's submission to the parents. Uh, and then we see the slave's submission or the bond servant's submission to the master, and again th- that's kind of where our eyes glaze over and we don't really pay much attention to it because we don't really think it applies right now. It does. It absolutely does. What's what's crucially important here is that we see that in these writings, Paul is talking to Christian slave owners and Christian slaves. Um, this is this is to the church in Ephesus where. W- w- at the time, they, they did have slaves, but the Christian slave owners are to treat their um, workers, bond-servant slaves, differently than those that are not, and those that are maybe treating them harshly. And so he's also talking, though, to Christian slaves as well, and how we should approach life through that lens. Now, um, this is this is the case, though, because... These may have been uh, new converts to Christianity, and so they're trying to live out their life in their new identity in Christ um, and and, and doing so in a way that there is this idea of submission to a master even as if you are a slave. So slaves, though, are a part of everyday life here. They uh, comprise of about um, a, a third of the population at this time. Um, So it is a very normal and natural thing to uh, have a culture where slaves are a part of your everyday life. Paul's instructions here to slaves were very much a part of his dealings with the family. So this is why he addresses slaves and masters in relationship with husbands and wives and even children. He gives instruction in light of two very simple things. Their relationship with the Lord and their connection uh, or responsibility to live out a life pleasing to God within the confines of social and legal culture. Where it's safe to say that within the social and legal culture, many slaves may have been mistreated. They may have been abused, neglected, or even killed uh, at at this point in time and even later on um, in history. So this is why Paul writes these things to the church of Ephesus. He's not blind to the culture or the customs. He understands what's going on. He's well aware of the relationship between slave owners and slaves. Now, the principles of this passage apply to us today just as much um, in these lawfully constituted authority areas. Areas of things happening and submitting to law in a way that uh, may seem a bit off. So, it happens just as much in constituted authority except for when that authority contradicts your relationship with Christ or an explicit teaching of the Scriptures. Now, Paul never condones the system. He never says it's okay for them to be treated wrongly. It's okay for sin to happen in the way that you handle your bondservants. But there is some overlap there. Um, I I have a Venn diagram here for you to kind of see what I'm talking about. Paul, in all of his teachings, shows this overlap in his teachings to obedience. The submission to authority and the fulfillment of God's commandments. And as they overlap, we see love to others through the obedience of the Scriptures, which is an accurate portrayal of the Gospel. So what's happening here is that we are not uh, disobeying God's commands, but rather fulfilling God's commandments and obeying the law, but doing it in a way that we are not willing to compromise on the explicit teachings of Scripture. So, we, we can go directly to an example in Scripture where uh, Paul is writing to Philemon. Many of you mem- remember this story. It's where Onesimus is a runaway slave, um, and in Paul's uh, uh, missionary journeys, he comes in contact with Philemon, and Philemon becomes a, a, a Christian, and then uh, has, he has this slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus may have stole some money or, or, or whatever he may have done, but it has now run away from Philemon and is now an escaped slave to, uh, to Rome. And where he's trying to hide in all of these people, trying to, um, uh, to, to get away and, and, and blend in with the crowd so that he can escape. In doing this, though, he runs into Paul. <laughs> and under Paul's ministry, again, uh, he becomes a Christian and begins to help Paul as he's in prison and uh, really, really begins to build a relationship with Paul. Paul then tells Onesimus, go back to Philemon, and then this is where he, he writes the, the letter to Philemon. Hey, forgive this guy. Whatever wrong he has done, count it on my behalf. Okay. So what we see here um, is that Paul is suggesting that this type of relationship between slave and masters would be transformed by love. Philemon's love for Onesimus, the bond servant's love for the master, the master's for the the slave. A relationship that would defy all cultural expectations at this time. It would be that letter that then helped set the stage and lay the foundation that led to the abolition of slavery. Now, when we look back at how Paul helps us navigate through the overlap of the two and understanding, understanding the obedience of submission um, it, it, the, the idea of submission is, is never ignored. obedience through the lens of submission to the father and to the law, even at that point in time so let 's actually get into the text I hope I hope i 've set the stage for you enough, and that wasn 't too confusing um, but so that we can now approach the text and understanding. What, how, the context of how Paul is writing here. So let's look at Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Children, I'm sorry, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as, uh, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will, ask to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord. whether He is a bond servant or is free. masters do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that He who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with them. So to understand this text, we first have to understand the meaning of submission and obedience, or to obey. Submission in the Greek is made up of two words, meaning under and order. To obey, uh, what this means is to obey and submit to one's control to yield to the admonition uh, admonition of or the advice of another. So under and order is submission, submitting to the control of, Of another. Obey in the Greek means under and listen. Now this means to listen eagerly for instruction much like what we would maybe see a bellhop or a bellman waiting on someone to come knock on the door so that they could then open and allow them to enter. They're patiently waiting to respond to something. In English obey is defined as Responding or complying comfortably in action two. In verse 5, obey with fear and trembling is how Paul mentions this. To obey with fear and trembling. This is not an obey with fear and trembling that is an oppressive, be scared to death uh, to obey this person. Obey is the same word used when spoken uh, in regard to re- the relationship of the children to the parents. Fear and trembling helps us see the attitude or posture that one should have toward that of authority. Trembling here literally means anxious about one's ability to meet all requirements but does his or her utmost to fulfill the duties. Anxious about meeting those requirements but does their absolute utmost to fulfill those duties. And with a sincere heart, a heart that is not self-seeking but that yet Manifests generosity. And as you would Christ. Now, not only is the individual to obey his or her authority as a child would their parents, we see. Sorry, I lost my spot oh to uh, uh, obey their 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 parents, but as so let's 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 start over here i'm sorry with a sincere heart not se- self seeking uh, oh but we now see the language is used here uh, as it was used in the relationship to the husband and the wife, so the cha- the, the parents um, are to uh, hold this idea of authority over the children as as the husband would the wife but it's not an overbearing authority it's not one that would be self-seeking it's one that shows reverence towards Christ so verse 6 not by the way of eye service or people pleasers this service and submission to authority as it pertains to slaves and masters should flow out of a heart of desiring to obey not the commandments of man, but the commandments of God. As servants of Christ, and bondservants is the word used here. It's the same word used to depict the slave. Uh, this is no coincidence That's the same word we use to see ourselves as bondservants in a relationship with Christ. There's, there's, no, there's no difference here. Our relationship with Christ and, our rela- and the slave's relationship to the Master is one that is God-glorifying in the way that we are obedient to the Scriptures and submit to authority. So, um, if we move now to verse 8, we see that rendering service, uh, the rendering service, though, says that we will receive back from the Lord uh, what is good and what, whether he is slave or free. So there is no distinction here. There's a direct connection here to Psalm 62, 11 and 12. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and that you, O Lord, belong steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. In this, in this idea, we see that there's not a distinction between the, the Christian here, the, the slave or the slave owner. Um, the janitor to the CEO, likewise the the plant worker to the president, the high school teen to the stay-at-home mom, we're all called to this type of service of obeying God, and there's no distinction. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, he knows his children, and we are all seen in Christ. There's no distinction between the slave and the slave owner or the master to the, to the servant. That's why in verse 9 he says masters do the same. This is a, uh, you're working together here. There's not a ruling over ruthlessly of one to the other. It's a uh, relationship between one another where the submission to authority is a God glorifying act that then allows them to, to be seen as an imitator of Christ. He says masters um, do the same, and this means that they have a crucial, very crucial role in the oversight and, and control, uh, and that's to exemplify the kindness, grace, and leadership that Christ has to us. This is the responsibility of the master to the, to the slave owner. That's why it says stop threatening. Because again, there should, be, there should never be this ruthless ruling over um, in a way that is harmful, but rather in a way that is glorifying to God. As he leads us, we should lead others. So, um, let's, let's quickly recap there, since I, I blew the fourth verse. Um, anyway, the, the slaves uh, are to obey their masters as a young child would their parents. Seeking to fulfill whatever duties have been given with a sincere and generous heart in reverence to Christ. We are to obey out of a heart desiring to manifest our Savior in goodwill and service To the Lord, not to man. For all power belongs to God, and He will render to a man according to His work. Masters are held to these same expectations as well as the responsibility to lead as Christ has led His bondservants. And God sees no distinction between either role or position. Christ is all and in all. So, after living the better part of five years in Memphis, I feel like it's appropriate for me to tell you what I'm not saying. When when we approach this text, there are many things that come into our mind um, because of the history, the history of America, um, where this idea of slaves and slave owner is very touchy. Very touchy. And so... What I'm not saying is this. There, there were hideous acts that have been committed by masters to slaves. And they shouldn't be overlooked or swept under the rug. These are horrible, even unfair things, evil and even unfair things that um, God has seen. And, and they won't go unpunished. We first have to understand that. And I think we should leave no stone unturned here because Augustine said this. Martin Luther King later quoted this in one of his very... Um, popular sermons and and teachings. He said that uh, an an unjust law is no law at all. Now, what we have to understand here is that two wrongs never make a right, and each situation has to be handled delicately and biblically, which points us here to 1 Peter 2.18. Many of us may be thinking right now in regard to this text, well, Trevor, you really don't know what, I, what I've been through, what my family's been through, or what I am maybe experiencing right now in life. My boss is terrible. My father is terrible and is ruthlessly ruling over my life in a way that is not biblical. Let's see what the text has to say about this. Turn with me to 1 Peter 2.18 really quick. 1 Peter 2.18 Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. We can't simply overlook what we don't like about the Scriptures and then hope to expound upon what we do. It's our responsibility as Christians to handle each situation biblically by approaching it in light of what the Scriptures say, not what we want them to say. So, what, so that we are able to live out our lives in obedience to the Scripture. Again, we have to say Paul never, never condones these things, never condones horrible acts, hideous acts that have, that have happened, or maybe even happening there, um, but yet he tells us how to act in spite of these things. In his writing here, he's in prison under the reign of Nero, which, who has is, who is been said to have murdered or had murdered um, over a thousand Christians. Paul, at his, this moment in time, is weighing out those two in um, submission to authority and obedience, and then they fulfill God's commandments. Right? Uh, So, right now, he is in the midst of the very thing that uh, we might say is too much or we shouldn't have to submit to. Again, though, so, some of us may have horrible bosses or others overbearing husbands. Even some may have a horrible past of leaders that have um, been arrogant, self-serving tyrants and have created a chasm between what we believe our response to their actions should be, and what Christ shows us our re- correct response, response must be. So in all of that, why does Paul lay it on so thick when he's, when he's talking about bondservants and obeying and not giving eye service and just being people pleasers, but doing it with a sincere heart as if we are serving Christ, even in the midst of an unjust authority? And I think this is, this is why For our benefit, we see two principles that we can glean from Paul's teachings here. And first is our personal submission to authority and also treating our work as worship and to be seen as a form of worship on a daily basis. As we look at the idea of our our submission to authority, we can kind of go back to that Venn diagram there where we understand that submission to authority and fulfillment of God's commands come together in order to love others through obedience of the Scriptures. They never contradict each other. Our sin may have messed up the certain thing that we we find hard to do, but the Scriptures are never contradicting. Love our neighbor, but submit to the authority. Those those go hand in hand. They They are not separate. God is a God of order. And in His sovereignty, we understand that He sees every situation we are in and expects us to be obedient. Submission to authority in the moment of hardship also gives us the opportunity to rest in Christ because it leaves us no other option. That moment when it's so hard that we don't understand it, it leaves us no option but to rest in Christ and His commandments because we can't fulfill what it is that we feel that we need to on our own. It was once said that authority is not bondage, total freedom is. Authority reveals to us the freedom we truly have as it were first established. The same authority Christ submitted himself to in the midst of pain and death. Our obedience obedience to God in such hard moments as Paul could be alluding to here in in the writing of this text shows those unable to be obedient, those struggling to actually uh, submit to what God is calling us to, it shows those unable to be obedient to God in that moment the picture and the power of the gospel in our own personal lives. Submission to authority ultimately shows our love and obedience to the Scriptures as God has ordained it. A good friend of mine says this in regard to this this text. How can we expect ourselves or others in the midst of unwanted situations to submit to Christ if we can't even submit to those He has ordained in authority over us? Ultimately, submission to authority is a hard issue. One that Constantly needs to be shaped and molded and chiseled in a relationship to Christ and around God's Word. So, in addition to our submission to authority, we have this idea of using our work as worship, working as if we are working for the Lord. There are approximately a hundred or more scriptures. That deal with work directly or our relationship to how we should do it, some of these are here are, are listed on the screen second Thessalonians three ten through twelve for even if we were with you, we would give you this command: if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. for we hear some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies, busybodies. now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord jesus christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living philippians two fourteen and 15 do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of god without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation there's the unjust among whom you shine as lights in the world proverbs 23 4 do not toil to acquire wealth be discerning enough to desist 1 Timothy 5, 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And one of my personal favorites, Ecclesiastes two twenty four and 25, There is nothing better for a person than he should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. If God created this idea of work before the fall to be something that we enjoy, then now we have to, because of our own sin, enjoy that work in the midst of a crooked generation, the fall and the mar of sin. It is our call to work as if we are working for the Lord. It is a command to work as if we are working for the Lord in a way that it glorifies Him and it is an example to other people. In light of this, all of these texts, the overarching principle that we must absorb is to work as if we work for the Lord. This honors God and it allows ways for those that He has formed from the work of His own hands to apply their abilities that were given to us by Him in a way that exalts Him. We must realize that our work is never made available to us to be self-glorifying. That's the kicker. That's where we find it very hard to understand what our work means to our daily life and what it, in the the entirety of our, our life, where all of that work fits in. It fits in as a form of worship. As we submit to the authority of the Lord and of the Scriptures, and as we work as if we're working for the Lord, the two come together, and as we love one another and as we find ourselves obedient to the Scriptures, we are obedient to what God has called us to. The acts of service, submission, effort, or toil are given to us as a means by which we are able to experience the emotional connection that God has with his very own workmanship. Here's what I mean by this. That's a little bit confusing. In other words, the feeling of accomplishment we get after a a job we finish that we've worked so hard to complete is similar to the emotion God expresses when we obey what it is that he has called us to. Although in that little illustration there, it pales in comparison to how he he actually feels when we obey the written word. So as I close here, verse 8 talks about the good we will receive out of all this. The title of this sermon is, I am rewarded. So what in the world have I been rewarded with so far? Trevor, what are you talking about us being rewarded with? All you've talked about is submission to authority and how we need to work harder. It's not. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. We are rewarded because verse verse eight says this. I'll start with seven. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bond or free. So, how are we re- re- rewarded? we are able to serve a God that loves us, that walks with us, and that provides for us. By submitting to the authority, we are able to place ourselves at the feet of Christ, trusting that His sovereignty is at work in each situation, and we are given the opportunity to be imitators of Christ. This parallels with Christ's submission to the Father in the midst of pain and death. And also, we are able to use the 40 the allowed 40 hours or potential of up to 40 hours or more hours a week to be spent in a posture of worship to our savior. So ultimately, our reward is quite mysterious and maybe even countercultural. We can't say that it will be cars or money or homes or even safety. But we can say that our reward is Christ. And He's the greatest reward that we will ever know. Let's pray. So Father, I thank You for just being able to read the text and hopefully present it in a way that, as Josh was saying, would be food as a waiter brings out to the table. And Lord, and my failures and my shortcomings, I probably didn't do that as, as well as I needed to. But Lord, I pray that You work and that Your your Word is the focus here, not my teaching, not my personality, and not what it is that I said, God, but that our hearts are drawn to Your Word in a way that it glorifies You, in a way that it uh, causes us to act and, and, and pricks our heart in a way that we are to uh, learn how to submit to Your authority and work as if we are worshiping You on a daily basis. Practically, Lord, You have given us... All the ways to, to act, to, to work, to serve, to, to love, and to um, pursue You, Lord. And we're thankful for that. Again, Lord, I pray that the Word speaks this morning and not me.
0: It's in Your name we pray. Amen. Later on in that passage that Trevor read out of First Peter, it says, He committed no sin. Some of you are here this morning and maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior. You just need to look at His love. Look at how the world was against Him, how He was reviled and rejected, how He suffered in the worst situation under the the worst authorities of His day. His own people took Him and put Him on a cross. But He bled and He died so that one day you could be saved. And you can this morning. You can turn from your sin. You can humble yourselves and submit to God as Trevor talked about. And it's not a submission of works and of doing things. It's a submission of trust and of you giving up your own path and saying, God, I need to be forgiven and I believe that your son paid the price for my sin. Will you save me? And the book of Romans says that all of those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved be saved today call on Him for salvation and receive the new life and the forgiveness that He has for you and the last thing before we sing and have a time of invitation I doubt many of you have thought about how tomorrow can be an opportunity for you to spend the day in worship at your workplace Amen What if tomorrow morning we got up and we said, you know what, I'm going not just to work, but I'm going to worship. And it may be tough, but I'm going to go shine the light of Christ to whoever I can by God's strength. Maybe some of you need to repent today. Maybe it's been all about you. Maybe you need to repent and say, God, I've had it all wrong. It's time for me to submit. It's time for me to obey. It's time for me to worship and to trust you whatever situation I'm in. As we sing, will you repent this morning? Will you turn from that sin and will you trust Christ? Will you be forgiven? If you've never trusted in Christ before, will you come? Will you be saved this morning? As we sing and have a time of invitation, will you pray to God and ask Him what He wants you to do? Let's sing.